G'day everyone and welcome. This is another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com. Thanks for joining us. This weekend we're going to have a wrap of the Shannon's Nationals Round 2 from Sandown, which just happened uh, on the weekend we just had. And we'll look forward to next weekend when the supercars make their way down to Winton. Richard Crail always kicks off the program with me to have a look at everything. G'day, Crailsy. Hey, Shabex. How are you, buddy? Uh, yeah, not bad. Not bad. Just uh, I'm still still wringing the water out of my clothes from a wet Friday at Sandown, but we were blessed by pretty decent weather on Sunday, especially uh, at that great racetrack in the down near the Dandenongs there, and uh, a terrific weekend of racing and some really interesting results across the Shannon's Nationals categories. And yeah, just getting set for the thermal jacket for when we go up near the snow country next weekend for. Uh, the next round of the supercars up at Winton. Yeah, it's definitely not going to get much warmer, I can guarantee you no. that. Uh, before we have a look at the racing at Sandown and our preview of Winton, I just want to talk about the Sandown racetrack itself. And uh, The talk is, is that we're going to lose this track in the next two or three years as the uh, as the racing the Melbourne Racing Club look to sell off the land and put uh, building blocks on there and houses and the like. And It is going to be, and it's, it's probably taken me a while to... Be, appreciate it but it's going to be a real loss to motor racing here in australia because while it for the uneducated eye you, you turn up to sand and you see two big straights and a couple of little windy bits at the in the bottom and you think how can these this be such a challenging racetrack but mm. there isn't a driver that i don't know that doesn't have some sort of issue at Sandown. yeah yeah exactly right and and even the drivers that don't like it um or you know don't agree with it or haven't gone well there admit that yeah, the place is a challenge. Uh, and that's it's just an old-school, classic racetrack. There's very little runoff. There's walls everywhere you look. Um, there's unforgiving sand traps. It's fast. It requires bravery and commitment. And uh, it's one of those tracks where a small error can have big consequences, especially up top at Turn 6 there on the what used to be called the Rothmans Rise and is now Todd Hazelwood Corner. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's um, yeah, it, it's a terrific old-school circuit. But... The other thing is that it's up there as the best, one of the best facilities for spectators. Yeah, correct. It's not that great for competitors. The pit lane is old. It was built in the mid-1980s. The garages are pretty small. Um, you know, it, it can be pretty hard work. And, of course, the noise restrictions there are the tightest of any country, uh, any circuit we go to in the country. Well, but... to, the, to the extent that if people don't know this, CAMS have to actually employ, or any, any organisation that races there has to employ a person full-time to sit there with a noise monitor, and Correct. if the decibel level gets up over a certain amount as that car go past him, that team is then informed that you either have to muffle your car or the car has yeah. to be taken off the track. Yeah, correct, exactly. And there's simple stuff like it. At most racetracks, we start at, at 9 o'clock or 8.30, um, but at, at Sandown, we have to start at 10 past 9. You can't start at 9 o'clock because you're not allowed to start cars uh, before 9am. So you could go racing at 9, but then the teams wouldn't have time to warm engine and gearboxes up before the start of a race. So it's it's little stuff like that. But that's that's all beside the point. And, but you work around that with the fact that you can go racing at that place. Yeah. Um, and it from a spectator point of view, it's terrific because you can see the whole track from the grandstand. It's covered. It's sheltered. It's out of the rain. It's backing into the wind for the most part. Um, so you're not in the full force of a, a gale coming off the, the Dandenong Ranges or uh, across from Melbourne's west. So it's a great place to watch car racing. The facilities are brilliant for punters. Um, they're great for corporates, good for media. Um, 
and it's just got so much charm and character about it. And I think we all agree that the best outcome would be they spend some money on it, they resurface the joint, and they fix what they need to fix to get a new track license, which is the runoff area up at turn six. So they need to pull that wall back a little bit yep. further. There's, there's only so much they can do there. Um, and, and ideally, we'd love to keep racing there for another decade, if not longer. But um, it seems somewhat inevitable that we are going to lose it at some point because the MRC doesn't want to spend the money on the racetrack because it doesn't bring in enough to justify them dropping a couple of million on a resurface and some, some walling work. So yeah, it's in a weird position at the moment, but uh, we hope we can keep going there. It's a terrific place. Yeah, it would be a terrific place. Well, let's talk about uh, the people that did go there on the weekend, and we'll kick it off with the Porsche Michelin GT3 Cup Challenge. And Cooper Murray and Simon Fallon, ding-dong battle between those boys all throughout the weekend. Cooper Murray, though, taking it back on a, uh, taking the round on account back. Yeah, and, and taking it after a, a blazing drive through the field after being helped off the road in the first race on Saturday by his, his rival, Max Fidel. They were wheel-to-wheel. Max just squeezed him off the road. Max got penalised for that, but Cooper ended up back in 18th place. He came through to win the second race, uh, win the third race of the weekend, sorry, uh, in a brilliant performance. The, the, the biggest story from that was Simon Fallon, who won races one and two, um, probably should have won the round, but made a mistake in race three, took the front splitter lip, the bottom little rubber lip off the front of his car that created some understeer. He was really struggling with speed. And then on the last lap of that race, he got passed by Jimmy Vernon in the McElroy car. Um, and it was only fourth or fifth. And at first look, you don't go, oh, well, it doesn't really matter if you're going to be fourth, you might as well be fifth or vice versa. Um, but what it did was that was what dropped the points back so that they were square with Cooper Murray. Mm. And then because Murray won the final race of the weekend, he took the round on count back. So Fallon being passed on the last lap of the race decided the round. So I think he'll be pretty frustrated. And uh, knowing Sonic Motor Racing, they probably will be as well. But yeah. um, anyway, first win for young Cooper, who's a, a sensational young talent that uh, Ash Seawood and his team has found this year, and, and he's been really impressive. So it's a great category, Shebex, this year. There's, it's so fiercely competitive amongst a, a huge group of young guys. It reminds me of the Super 2 Series of a couple of years ago when we had all the young, what are now yeah. stars in supercars, battling it out. It's the same thing, but in Porsches, um, and it's it's going to be a cracking championship. Tell you what, though, I'm really wrapped for Simon Fallon. Uh, he had a, a, a tough couple of years in Formula 4, learning his craft up that sort of, uh, you know, in, in championship racing. And then all of a sudden he's come out and he's, he's starting to show a bit of what we thought he had uh, in that Formula 4 uh, two years that he spent. We're actually starting to see some of that, which is great. You know, it's good to see these kids start to develop into decent races. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and look, sometimes drivers, young drivers especially, just for whatever reason can't get their head around a particular category. But when they go to another one, it just all clicks. Um, you know, there are some guys that have struggled in, in Super 2 and haven't really delivered huge results, but have moved into the main game and actually gone all right. Um, and the same can be said for drivers coming out of open wheel racing into Porsche racing. And I think Simon's just one of those, whatever reason, uh, his, his F4 program didn't go quite to plan, but, um, he's jumped into Porsche and he's been comfortable from the outset. He's been really quick. Um, really consistent and stringing together some great results. A lot of potential there. Certainly is Lewis Lead rounding at the podium and another F4 uh, graduate ahead of uh, Max Fadow, who, of course, had a great weekend at Tail and Bend a couple of weekends ago, and Jimmy Vernon. I was really impressed, too, with uh, Chelsea Angelo in the uh, in the GT3 Cup cars. Yeah, super performance. Uh, qualified uh, third on uh, Saturday and then 
um, raced her way brilliantly to second place in race one, which was a really outstanding performance. Um, do you know what I was more impressed was, was she had a crash on Saturday, on uh, Sunday morning and had a big one too. It was a, a Dandenong Road special where you come over the hill, you lose the rear of the car and yeah. you pogo off that fence twice and it did damage to the front and rear of her wall racing Porsche. Um, but she was very, very mature about it. She was obviously disappointed, but she owned it. She said, it was my fault. I'm learning. I made a mistake. I was too hot. I understand exactly why it happened. I was having a crack. you got to do it. Um, and I, I was just blown away by how mature she was about it. Um, you know, could have thrown the teddies out of the pram very easily there, but didn't. Um, and then came and called the final race with me and did a really good job, which is annoying because um, she'll be one of those people that puts you and I out of a job when she retires from being a car yeah. racer. But, um, yeah, really impressive performance. And it was great to see the raw speed being there to contend at the front of that field. And um, the next round is at Phillip Island, and that's a track she goes really well at. She's had lap records here in Formula Ford on the podium in F3 cars there too. So, um, yeah, promising signs, I think, from Chelsea's uh, going to have a really good year. And uh, David Gregg taking Class B honours, D- Daniel Studdard taking uh, the Pro-Am division. Yep, and that was decided in the final race between he and Brett Bolton. Really good wheel-to-wheel fight between those two, which is good fun. It's a great category. I've said it before, and I'm biased because I, I call for them, but um, just the depth in that field is as good as any national-level category in yep. Australia at the moment. That includes... Um, that includes Carrera Cup and Aussie GT, and, and it's just so fiercely competitive. Going to talk Aussie GT a little bit later on with Matt Kosh, who will join us. Uh, Australian production car series. I was really impressed with Berry Linton in that uh, BMW uh, M3. She was, it was just powerful all weekend and consistently powerful, taking out all four races. And the amazing thing is now that after round one, he's built up a, I think it's about an 80-point lead between him and, and second place in the championship. Yeah, when you've got a four-race format, it sort of helps that cause, doesn't it? Yeah. So, um, Beric's a terrific driver. He's hugely experienced. He's been racing production cars for 20 years. So if you do something long enough, you're going to be pretty handy at it. Um, and he's he's a great guy. He's a good ambassador for the sport. He's one of those guys that's invested in new machinery, wanted new cars into the category. He found a particularly good one in the M3 competition. They debuted that car at the Bathurst Six Hour in April and um, demolished the Bathurst production car lap record by a couple of seconds and uh, had the race shot to pieces before it had some electrical issues at the end there and um, they ultimately didn't get to the end which was a, a real shame but uh, the sort of new car-itis um, and the Sharons proved that you can you can engineer that out over the course of the season Correct. so they've done a really nice job with that car but production car racing is looking good this year it's, it's taken a big step up big grids um, they all had a shocking weekend but the new Lotus's or is it low tie? I don't know what the plural is, but no, we go uh, with lotuses. Yep, yep. They they were fast, so they're going to be really quick. And when we get to Queensland Raceway, when we get to Winton circuits, which aren't so horsepower sensitive as uh, as we know Sandown is, I think those things are going to be really quick, especially ones with uh, guys like Tony Delberto and uh, Grant yeah. Denier and Ryan Simpson behind the wheel. So um, it's a good series now. It's it's terrific. Um, some of the older cars are, are going to have to be upgraded because otherwise they're not going to be competitive. But that's part of the joy of, of that style of racing where you've got to have the latest uh, the latest weapon to do the job. 15 marks represented across the weekend in the Australian Production Car Series. And great to see an MG out there as well. Uh, and James Brock taking the Class E win in, that, in his MG, which was fantastic. Yeah, it's been a while since the Brock's won a trophy in Australian yes, motor racing, good isn't point, it? Good so, point. Um, yeah, yeah, good, good stuff for James. He's been working on that program for a long time, I know, um, and it's taken them some time to get it all sorted. But 
clearly that car is is reasonably decent in a, a class E context. So that's that's good for Brocky and uh, good for the category to have a another brand engaged. And actually, I spoke, I spoke to former racer Ian Dyke, who's a, a, a guy I called Formula Three Racing when he was in that category a long time ago. He runs a filming business now, and um, MG are bringing him along to shoot some video content for them. So they're actually leveraging their engagement in it, which is even better. Jacuzzi Spa's Australian Production Car Series moves its next round, round two to Queensland Raceway, of course, which sees the infamous fight in the night. Looking forward to calling three hours of racing of cars that I can't see. That's going to be oh, great. Right. It's, it's one of my favourite races. I know. I know. It is. Brilliant. And really look forward to that. The Australian Prototype Series uh, presented by Hot Wheels saw Jason Macris have an amazing weekend. Yep, two from two. First victory for the Wolf GBO8 CN cars in Australia. So, huge performance by uh, the man his teammate dubbed the Missile. Uh, it's good racing, really good racing. He and JP Drake had a great battle in Saturday's race. They were wheel to wheel, and uh, Mark Lauke would have been in that, the defending champion, but he had an engine issue uh, later on. So, unfortunately, that uh, that cost him some momentum and some points, but he was able to finish and still got, uh, got third for the weekend. But yeah, really interesting stuff. So that that championship's wide open now. They've they've got uh, uh, a host of contenders at the front. Lackey and Phil Hughes and the Radicals in there as well. The two Wolves looking really strong. Uh, their next round is also at Queensland Raceway. Heap of drivers doing double duties over the weekend. Mitch Nielsen, Simon Haggerty also competing in the Radical Australia Cup. Kim Burke taking round three ahead of... Uh, John Paul Drake, who was third, Simon Haggerty second. So, yeah, the, the double duty boys are not phased by it. They just get on with the job. Yeah, and similar-ish cars to drive as well. Yeah. Same sort of theory to get lap time out of a, a CN car in, in JP Drake's uh, case uh, to a, a Radical, which is good. And, of course, the Radical boys, part of the idea of that category is you can run the Radical in Radical Cup and you can run it in prototypes as well and be competitive in both. So uh, it's a, a win-win for those guys. Third th- round three of the Shannon's Nationals moving to Phillip Island, uh, the first to the third of June. Uh, before we look at uh, a preview of V8s this weekend, uh, supercars up at Winton, uh, your thoughts on Formula One last night, Spanish Grand Prix, easy win for Lewis Hamilton. And I'm getting that feeling, it's, it's early, but I'm getting that feeling that it's going to be an easy year for Lewis Hamilton. Uh, I'd give you some thoughts to Bex, but uh, I, I got home from the airport, flew home from, from Sandown, at, from Melbourne, got Fell home asleep. and literally walked into the door and saw the start of the race, which was terrific. Uh, and then I woke up on lap 37 and decided I'd go to bed. Yeah, um, wise move. So it wasn't a great Grand Prix. Uh, it was uh, a bit of follow the leader, early safety Very car. much procession, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and it's probably a topic for another show when we've got more time, but um, everyone's talking about changing changing the cars and changing the tracks and rah, rah, rah. I'm, I'm usually not one for changing the racetrack to make better racing. I'm one for, for making the cars better, um, which is what Formula One's trying to do and what IndyCar has done. But, God, that place is dull. And and I think 24 of the 28 Grom, uh, 25 of the 28 F1 races there now have been won from the front row of the yeah, grid, including sure. last night's race. So they've got to make some changes at Catalonia. It, it might be a good circuit to drive, but it's a shocking racetrack. Yeah, no, fair call and uh, point very well made. Mate, let's look forward to Winton this weekend. Supercars making their way there for uh, another round. And uh, we see Scotty McLaughlin, who we spoke to last week. Uh, well, he's hopefully will continue his uh, charge in front of the championship. Uh, well, if, if you're a Scott McLaughlin fan, hopefully, yeah. Uh, if you're a Holden fan or someone else, hopefully not. Um, yeah, it, but it, it is hard to look past 
the kind of form that he's in. Um, but but even he showed last year that that one trip up can change the context of the championship. And you know he had that red hot run for a while there. He was good at Phillip Island last year. He was good at Barbagello last year. And then there were a few blips on the radar which brought Wink Cup back into the championship. So um, yeah, he won't be he won't be cocky about it. He won't be over the over the top going yet. We're going to smoke him again. But that's just supercars for you. It's so deeply competitive across the board that it is very, very difficult to dominate. Um, but he's in such electrifyingly good form and the way that he's driving is is meant that he's beating his teammate comfortably. He's leading the field. Um, when he gets in front of a race, he controls it. If they need a roll of strategy dice, they seem to be nailing that too. Um, so that bond with Ludo is going really well. Um, but the Scott McLaughlin of, of 2018 is a different driver to the Scott McLaughlin of 2017. Um, he's a different guy. He's driving better. He's smarter. He's less emotional. That he, you know, the, the dramas that unwound him at the end of the championship last year. Is so, it fair to say it was the kick in the pants that he probably needed? Well, not. I don't know. A kick in the pants is the right way to say it, but I, I think it was just the growth that he needed. Yeah. Okay. It was that that key moment in your career where you, it's a big life lesson, and he learned it. He, he learned it hard. Cost him a championship, but. Um, but he's a better person because of it. And I think everyone has those in their career. Everyone has those in their life. Yeah. Those moments where you go, oh, I need to actually change my approach or my attitude or the way I go about life to, to improve. And that's what he's done. And um, he's, he's very, very hard to beat. So, look, it's hard to go past him. But I, I like Craig Lowndes. And I've said it before in this program, but I love what he and John McGregor have done this year. I love the way they've bounced back. Um, and I'd love, love, love for him to go and win a round again because uh, if, if just to shut these stupid stories that are getting published in the papers about retirement, about Lowndes announces retirement, which he hasn't done. Well, he's 80 years um, old, so it's got to be close, doesn't it? Well, I, it, there's no doubt. But what happened was that a journalist took a bunch of co- comments Craig made about potential futures, yeah. of which one of those includes being an endurance driver, and turned it into a story, which the headline was Craig Lowndes is going to retire. Um, so it, it's the closest thing to clickbait you can ever have. And it just, it was rubbish. And I was really happy to see Craig jump on Twitter straight away and go, nah, and this is ridiculous. I didn't say I'm going to retire. No one actually spoke to me to get these quotes. So what are you talking about? So I'd love for him to go and smoke them this weekend in one of the races and get another victory. And I'd love to see him be a title contender right through the, the championship. Maybe have a go at winning it. That'd be brilliant. And you know what? If he was languishing down in 20, 24th, 25th every yeah. race, yeah, yeah, sure, it might be entering his mind. But yeah. while he's still winning races and finishing on the podium, he's far yeah. from finished. Do you know, it would be the ultimate, ultimate uh, epitaph, not the right word, but you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> the ultimate full stop on his career, if he can bounce back from a shocking year last year. Yeah. Because when the vultures start circling, when you're an older driver and you're closer to the end than the finish, uh, than the than the start, um, and you have a bad year, and everyone goes, oh, he's past it. He's over it. He's yep. gone. But but when you go back and you read the history books in 20 years' time, and you're going through Craig's career and you see that blip on the radar, but the year after, you go, bang, Craig Lowndes, champion or second or third and a bunch of victories and back on form, that would only enhance significantly the already remarkable career that that guy's had. Every, I would love to see that. Love it. Every motor racer's career is like a, uh, a landscape of Manhattan, you know, the old uh, cricket Manhattan. And while, yeah, yeah. while you haven't got to the full right-hand side of the city where it just drops off to nothing, 
and you're still actually building skyscrapers, you keep mm. going, and that's exactly what he's doing. He's that Manhattan's still growing for him. Yeah, well, he's not he's not building the Eureka Tower, but he's no, building no, no. something pretty close to it, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. The the only guy that's um the only guy that's built a full New York is Jamie Wincup, um, and that just seems to be stretching on for eternity because he's still competitive, but. but- uh, I think Jamie Wincup might be Shanghai, actually, with the amount well, of skyscrapers that he's got. I think he could be. It's uh, it's amazing. But, yeah, it's terrific. Um, and I, I, for one, personally, hope he goes and wins a bunch more races this year and is a, is a title contender. But I, I think Craig Land's biggest problem this year is probably the driving car 17 and the team behind him because uh, they're in unbelievably good touch. But just to back up our comment, can we just say, Scott McLaughlin, 1,247 points in the championship, Van Gisbergen, 1,087 Dave Reynolds, 1,079. Craig Lowndes, fourth on 1,053. Yeah. He's 36 points off second in the championship yeah. and one race win and a DNF off Scott McLaughlin yeah. and leading it. Yeah, but clearly he should retire, obviously. Without a doubt. <laughs> well, we yeah. haven't talked about Reynolds either. And, no, we and, haven't. And Dave, maybe maybe Winton's the big big breakthrough for Dave. And, and, and they've won some races already. We know that. That's been terrific to watch. And they've had some really good podiums. Uh, even in spite of Dave, in some instances, like the final race of Barbagello, he tr- tried to throw it away. But um, they're going to have a weekend soon, you feel, where it all clicks and they smoke everybody. They're yeah. going to have a McLaughlin weekend where they just dominate. I don't know where it is. I'm wondering if it might be Winton. I wonder if that circuit might play to the real strengths in the chassis of that Erebus Motorsport car. Um, that could be the weekend where Dave and... Um, Al McVeigh and Bazron and that team, it just all clicks together and they go out and dominate and have a really, really huge weekend for Erebus because the, their consistency this year has been outstanding and the fact that they've been fast at every racetrack they go to has been one of the great stories of the season so far and it, yeah. it's cool to see Dave up and about. So I'm wondering if Winton could be that weekend. And, you know, if Dave can just stay within a couple of hundred points of Scott come the Enduros... We saw what Erebus can do last year with that win at Bathurst, yeah, and that exactly. would have given him so much confidence. You can expect that Dave Reynolds is going to be thereabouts in taking max points from mm. Sandown, Bathurst, and the Gold Coast, and that could be the turning point in, uh, in the season. Yeah, yeah. We spoke to Scotty last week on the show that about that belief and how that when you have a, a series of great results, the belief builds and yeah, builds correct. and builds. And rather than going in going, can we win this race, you go in going, we can win this race. So it stops becoming a question mark and becomes a statement. Uh, and that's what McLaughlin's at in his career now. But I think Erebus are there as well. I, I don't think they're a, they're a oh, maybe we can jag one somewhere. I think they're a, no, we're a contender week in, week out. They've doubt. got that inner confidence that they can go and, they can go and contend and, and be a, a championship contender and be a, a potential race winner every weekend, which would be, uh, it's terrific as a sport and what they've built at that little outfit. Which and is, the good... Um, Story. The good news for Betty Clemenko is we now know it takes about sixty to eighty million dollars to build that confidence. <laughs> yes, yeah, and the Bathurst victory. Yes, yeah. exactly. Well done. Hey, buddy, always great to catch up with you. Catch you uh, up at Winton on the weekend, and uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, bring the bring the uh, the big jacket, no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, I've got the thermals, but uh, it should be a good one. Like going to Winton, cool little racetrack in the country. Locals always support it, uh, and keen to see how uh, in the next chapter of this. Very impressive novel that's being written about the championship this year unfolds. See you Friday. Ciao. Richard Crowell joining us here on The Grid.
All right, another of the big categories down at Sandown on the weekend was, of course, the Australian GT Series. Joining us is series commentator Matt Kosh. Have a chat about that. G'day, Matt. G'day, Tony. How are you? Mate, I'm fantastic. Uh, a really interesting and exciting weekend of GT racing down at Sandown. It was an absolutely brilliant weekend of racing. Thankfully, the weather stayed away. We got blighted with it a little bit on Friday just to really tease us into the weekend. But then we had three magnificent 40-minute races with some great battles, not just for the lead, but further down the uh, the 29-car field with GT4 and GT3 and some of the trophy cars. It was absolutely brilliant. One of the best weekends of GT racing that I can personally remember. And a great win in the end by Jeff Emery, who took that round uh, after claiming the final race win. He didn't get... In all his own way, though, through the weekend. But uh, consistency just means so much, doesn't it, in motor racing? It really is key, particularly when you're looking to build a championship. And that's what Jeff did so successfully last year at Sandown over the weekend. He he won the first race, or should I say, he crossed the line first in the first race. But he copped a five-second penalty, which pushed him back to second. He then made up for those uh, errors in race three. And it was a ding-dong battle with uh, with Fraser Ross in the last couple of laps. So a nose to tail for lap after lap of race three. It was, it was really, really entertaining stuff. Yeah, no, Fraser Ross really impressed me over the weekend. Actually, I thought his driving skills uh, were quite good. Yeah, a little bit unlucky in many ways not to get a race win because he was there in all three races and then just because he qualified so well and raced so well, he had a longer compulsory pit stop time, which meant that he had a little bit more to do in the back half of all three races. And as a result, he never quite got there. But, you know, some good podiums has moved him up into second in the championship standings as well. So, yeah, he's he's really coming on form in the middle part of the season. And the other man that uh, was impressed throughout the weekend was Peter Hackett, as always. Yeah, and we can't say enough about Peter Hackett. Not only has he finally got the endurance championship to his name after some 17 years of trying, but he's now the most successful driver in Australian GT history. He chalked up a race win in race two over the weekend, uh, race one, sorry, over the weekend, and that was uh, that was his 18th Australian GT race win. That takes him clear of the likes of David Wall and the late, great Alan Simonson. Those three were tied on 17 wins. So Peter Hackett now the clear best of all time, the, the GOAT in Australian GT, and uh, it's great to see that he's still got that performance in the uh, in Mercedes-AMG. Some of the other uh, impressive runs from the weekend, what do you think of the uh, the BMW run of uh, Steve Richards and Ricky Capo? Yeah, they had a tough old weekend. Sandown's not a circuit that particularly suits the BMW. It's a car that's got a really long wheelbase, so what it does do is it's got great stability around high-loaded sweeping corners. I think Phillip Island that should, in theory, play to its favour. The likes of Sandown, it's basically a point and squirt, lots of tight 90-degree corners. It doesn't play to the BMW's strength. So they struggled that weekend. We sort of expected that. Ricky Capo had a couple of incidents. It's the first time he's been back into Australian GT since 2016. So there's more to come in that car. The circuit, more than anything, didn't play to their strengths. One person we haven't touched on, though, is the Hot Wheels car care products driver, Liam Talbot, who... Uh... Is now in, in in front of the championship, is that correct? Yeah, he's got a, a good 60-odd point advantage at the top of the championship standings. Didn't take a race win over the weekend, but much like Fraser Ross was there or thereabouts, the one thing that Porsche seemed to struggle with is in the early couple of laps, he tended to, to drift backwards, and I don't know whether that was in play a conservative game or just not able to get the tyre temperature up in the first couple of laps. But he then returned to the front as the races wore on, Never quite got to the very pointy end, but was there or thereabouts again and doing absolutely everything he needs to to mount that championship challenge that fell just agonizingly short last year.
Do you is uh, that's a, a really good looking car too that Porsche the, prepared by Wilkinshaw Racing and, and uh, the boys down there that they've done a really good job with that car. They are one of the best teams in the business, not even just in Australian GT, but you know in in motorsport uh, around the world. Of course, it's part of the Wilkinshaw Andretti United group down there at Wilkinshaw GT. So they do the uh, they do things right. The matte black with the uh, the red accents and the flame of the Hot Wheel Car Care products. Um, branding on it looks looks magnificent, and it's a car that's also had an upgrade kit, so it even looks just a little bit more aggressive with some of the aerodynamic tweaks that it's had for 2018. So go through some of the other race uh, or some of the other category winners for us, uh, Matt, uh, in class there in the Australian GTs. I guess the big one is really Jeremy Gray in the GT4 class. He's racing the uh, JMG Bilstein Aston Martin Vantage the uh, GT4. He basically clean swept the weekend. He's now in front by miles in the championship in the in the GT4 class. A couple of uh, other cars in the class. Well, there was a five-strong GT4 field. We lost the two KTMs, unfortunately, before the, the final race of the weekend. There were, um, there were some other good performances from Victor Zagami, who was out there in a uh, in an Audi R8 LMS GT4, the first time that car has ever competed in Australia in any competition, which is fabulous to see another brand out there. And then in the uh, in the trophy side of things, it was uh, it was another really good weekend. One thing that I particularly liked is it in the final race was Rio Nagara, who uh, who claims his first ever Australian GT win in in class. He's now in uh, in fourth in the series. He's still a long way off the back of Nick Kelly, who dominated the opening round at uh, at the Grand Prix and was very very strong in uh, in Sandown. Had a spin in the final race, and that's what dropped him down behind Rio Nagara, but. Nick Kelly in the industry, Audi R8 LMS Ultra, the oldest that car is, uh, is looking very, very good this year as well. And we should also mention too, uh, in the Audi, Dean Kutsumidis. Uh, great to have him back on Australian soil. Yeah, he's been doing a lot of racing over in Europe and Asia in sort of prototype-style machinery in, in recent years. Cut his teeth in, uh, in Australia, did a lot of com- competition in uh, Australian GT ranks a couple of years ago, and he's had couple of guest appearances since he was partnered with uh, the M Motorsports entry of, uh, of Glenn Wood as well. That's a car that was actually on pole following qualifying, but um, just being not used to, to the GT machinery versus the prototypes type stuff and uh, just drifted backwards as the weekend went on. But they were very, very quick, and it's great to see guys that have got that experience coming back and uh, enjoying their time in Australian GT. It was lovely to see that Equity One uh, driver's suit walking down the back of pit lane, yeah. and Dean was actually the first hot lap that I ever had of Sandown. Was with him in an Audi <laughs> around about uh, ooh, five, six years ago, I reckon. Yeah, he's uh, he sort of moved on a long way from there. The old Equity One Audi R8 that was an LMS Ultra back then, of course. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's gone and done some really good stuff over in Europe, racing with some some really fabulous names over there. So it's it's great that those guys come back and I had a quick chat with him over the weekend and he said he was really enjoying his time back in Australian GT and sort of says what we all think which is Australian GT is one great big family so it's like coming home for uh, for Christmas. Might even try and organise an interview with him in the next week or two uh, for the podcast I reckon. Uh, be great to have a chat to him about what's happening uh, overseas. Mate, the 2018 Cams Australian GT Championship moves to Phillip Island for the next round? Yeah, double headed down there at Phillip Island. It's going to be a busy old weekend because it's uh, the fourth round of the Australian GT Championship that encompasses round two of the Australian Endurance Championship. So let's think back to the old Phillip Island 101. That's exactly what we're doing this time around. So we'll have the GT Championship cars going out there for 101 laps. 
on the same weekend, the Trophy Series is competing as well in its own standalone event. Okay. So it's got its own qualifying and races as well. So we've got a big double header of GT action. I'm sure the Porsches are down there as well. So anyone that, that loves a bit of sports car work should, uh, should jump down to Phillip Island in uh, the first weekend of June. And I think we've even got the Formula 4s down there as well that weekend. So it uh, should be an absolute yep. ripper weekend of uh, some good Australian talent driving around yep, one of the absolutely. best tracks in Australia. Best tracks in the world, you could say. Yeah, you certainly could, no doubt about it. Matt, always <laughs> great to catch up with you, mate. Thank you for that. We'll do it again in a couple of weeks' time. Look forward to it. Thank you. Matt Kosh joining us here on The Grid. <laughs> All right, time to wrap up the show. We do that by heading over to the States, and we say good day to our man, Andy Molden, who's covering IndyCars for us. Good day, Andy. G'day, Tony. How's it going? Mate, I'm fantastic and great to see Will Power taking his first win of the year in the uh, Verizon IndyCar Series and also the 200th 200th IndyCar win for Team Penske. Yeah, big milestone there for Roger and uh, Will seems to uh, he seems to own this track. It's, I think it's the third win in a row now and he was you know, pole position and uh, Robert Wickens was a fair challenge there for a while. He, uh, he, and the uh, we had to switch to the alternates and uh, to uh, hold off there at the end. Uh, really entertaining race, actually. Lots of passing and the uh, new aero kit is definitely uh, providing good entertainment. Will started from pole position but did fall off the lead uh, earlier, I believe. Uh, and, and sort of, yeah, it was a, a good comeback, as you said. Yeah, Wickens, uh, you know, after the first round of pit stops, he was able to get by. And, uh, yeah, yeah, his car handled better on the, the reds from memory. And, uh, and going back to the blacks, uh, you know, didn't, uh, the car just wasn't uh, suited to that as much. And uh, Will had uh, a lot less downforce. So he was, uh, you know, the car's going to be quicker down the straights, but it's not going to hold onto his tyres as long in the turns um, compared to Wickens. And then no, Will did go out of the car and he actually struggled to get out of the car. They had to delay the podium. Uh, off together, basically. Yeah, we uh, we'll take a, a, a sort of an Australasian double, I suppose, with Scott Dixon finishing in second place, Robert Wickens in third. But uh, good to see Scotty Dixon also just starting to accumulate some points as well. Yeah, considering he started from 18th, and they were really uh, out to lunch with their uh, qualifying setup. Uh, they kind of figured it out in the final practice there yesterday morning um so yeah really good drive there yeah from 18th and um, if you're basically a commonwealth podium if you yeah look at it from that angle so yes, yeah correct. good to see with the canadian up there on the on third spot as, as you mentioned so there would have been plenty of uh, four and 20 pies being passed around i would have thought yeah so the uh i was able to get the importer to come out and do his uh pie drop come all the way from new jersey so uh Fantastic. actual schmidt schmidt motorports Schmidt Motorsport team uh, actually ordered 10 boxes. So they've got a pie warmer in a garage. And, uh... All right, and uh, before we let you go, Andy, it'd be remiss of us not to talk about the uh, what they call the month of May and what a special month it is in Indianapolis, of course, leading up to the big event, the Indy 500. Yes, and uh, this year, you know, new bodywork and lots of new interests uh, in the series, which is great. So what that means is there's actually 35 cars going to be starting practice on Tuesday. And there's going to be bump day again, which is qualifying will be uh, over Saturday and Sunday. Sunday's generally bump day, so two cars are not going to make the uh, show, which is uh, 33 cars. 
Fantastic. So that will definitely add uh, excitement. Fantastic, though, that they've got those numbers uh, happening. It is, and you know, some of the full season entrants have uh, actual you know, real sponsors on the car. Um, and you know, one of those uh, thirty-five, apart from Will Power, James Davison, Carlson, and of uh, Willickson, Will and Alex has put together his own deal. Uh, he'll be running a, an AJ Foyt racing car. So Excellent. watch out for him; he's very fired up. Yeah, we certainly will, mate. Always great to catch up with you, Andy. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you throughout the month of May, leading up to the big one, the Indy 500, in just a few weeks' time. No worries, Tony. Great to chat to you again. Andy Molden joining us here on The Grid. That's it for another episode. Mypodcasthouse.com is where you can catch us each week. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week.